All right, welcome back. I'm Jordan. And I'm Rachel. And we're here for our 12th episode, uh, where we watch a formative movie from my childhood and mm-hmm. force Rachel to watch it. That's right, force. Force. That's right. Physically forced. Tied to a chair, <laughs> clockwork orange style with your eyelids pried open, <laughs> tears streaming down your face. Well, we watch like, I don't know, Men in Black or something. <laughs> that was like the most traumatizing description of being coerced into watching a movie I've ever heard. Well, you've seen Clockwork Orange. It's fucked up. It's, it is traumatizing. Stanley Kubrick, I hope you hear this from hell. And then uh, in an equally traumatic experience, Rachel makes a sugar-free dessert and forces me to eat it. That's right. Um, tied to a chair. Clockwork Mouth- <laughs> Orange style, but with your mouth. <laughs> yeah, mouth pried open with a crowbar, and then, you know, mush shoveled in. That's right. Rub my throat until I swallow. That's right. Uh, That's what but- <laughs> happens in this house. <laughs> we review the movie uh, in terms of uh, gender and race and equality and masculinity and feminism, etc. Yeah. And uh, then we review the... Um, Dessert through the same lens. That's right. How is this? A, how is this a gender expression of a cookie? Yeah, ever had a racist cookie before? We have. <laughs> We've have on this show. Have we? And we have apologized many times for that racist cookie. We're it so did not sorry. express the views uh, that we express. Um, but anyway, that is a recipe for disaster. What uh, delicious treat are you making for us today? So, as you all know, I have a deep and abiding love for peanut butter. So I am making... Have you ever really said that on here? Or just kind of gone like, hmm, peanut butter a couple times? I think I've told them that I have a deep and abiding... You know what? We'll let the listeners decide. Yeah. <laughs> listeners, did you know that Rachel has a deep and abiding love of peanut butter? If not, you're going to find out right now. Yeah. Um, so I am making sugar-free Nutter Butters today. Ooh, that sounds good. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and they're not going to be like, they're more like peanut butter sandwich cookies, but... Yeah, they're not going to be like actual peanut shaped with the ridges and all that stuff. Uh, no. Yeah, that seems like a lot of work. That's a lot of work. I don't have a stamp to stamp them out, so... Yeah. I mean, you know, Nabisco or whoever makes millions of those every day, but they also have like factories that have those little kids in them with their tiny fingers where they're able to like actually get the detail on that's those right. cookies. That's we exactly don't, <laughs> how those are made. We don't have access to tiny slave fingers in our house. So we're going to try and make these our own way. I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah, no, that mm-hmm. is, it's a point of pride, I would yeah, say. I'm really yeah. glad that we haven't done anything that immoral. Like, you know, beyond the fact that there are no children at all in this house, there are also no slave children, which is a good thing. Good job, us. Yeah. Bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've achieved so much more than so many people just by saying that alone. Oh, God. Oh, man. Let's not go it's a there. depressing thought. This morning, there was a headline on the New York Times that was like, Climate change is destroying the cedars of Lebanon. And I just looked at it and I turned it over. Yeah. And I was like, I nope. can't look at that. <laughs> Not today. Too sad. Nope. So that's how I feel about this discussion. I'm just going to turn that newspaper yeah. over and say, yes, we're going to put that on the back burner for now and instead concentrate on cookies. Right. 
Um, you know, instead of child slavery, let's, you know, watch a Jim Carrey movie or something. Ha yeah. ha! Everyone, feel better! <laughs> but yeah, so you're you're making sugar-free uh, Nutter Butters. Uh-huh. And what exactly is going into this? So it's like, there's a, is it a peanut filling and then peanut cookies? Yep. <laughs> Great. I need to work on my interview skills. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That's exactly so, what okay. it is. What what's in the peanut butter filling? I guess because um, it, it isn't just peanut butter, is it? Um, no, it's peanut butter and some and some butter and some powdered erythritol and a little bit of um, half and half. Okay, so it'll make it a little bit sweeter mm-hmm. and creamier mm-hmm. than it would normally be. Mm-hmm. Um, go, we're going for the same texture, like okay. The butter's gonna give it like that. Um, like kind of silky f- mouthfeel sure. and like reduces the stickiness of the peanut butter and yeah yeah um and then the cookie hopefully will be nice and crunchy yeah and that's the next thing that i wanted to talk about is for the cookie itself like uh-huh. is that going to be basically just a regular old peanut butter cookie or is this done in more of like a shortbread fashion or how is um, this going? i'm not 100 percent sure how these are going to turn out because there's so there's so few ingredients in them it's oh, just really? peanut butter erythritol and egg um and some salt okay so this seems like a pretty simple recipe overall huh? yeah we'll see how it turns out are you going to put your own spin on it or uh try and follow this one as much as possible oh i'm sure i'll put my own spin on it yeah you. i'm sure do. i will um i might put some peanut butter flour in it okay which I have to, I can't reach, it's too high Here, I can reach, what, what is it you need? It's way back there, it's in the green thing. Yeah, okay. Um, so now, what inspired you to, uh, what inspired you to make these cookies, Rachel? Um, I was just thinking about how, yeah, that's it. Um, how delicious Nutter Butters were in my childhood and how much I loved them. Do you have a particular uh, association with them, like uh, an extracurricular activity that you received them at or something similar? So when I was real little, my dad sometimes would come get me from school and he was in grad school at the time. So there was no, he wasn't like around a lot. Yeah. Um, and so it was like a real treat. He'd come get me and then we'd go to the food line and get like Nutter Butters and then go fish. The food line? What is this? The Great Depression? What the is this? The food lion. Oh, the food lion. Not the food line. Oh, okay, yeah. The food lion. Um, It was a grocery store, and we'd get um, we get Nutter Butters or Kit Kats, and then sometimes we'd go fishing in the afternoon. Sure. And it was just like really, and I just remember it was usually in the fall because I was in school, and the sun would be like slanting down, and Mm. I'd be my dad had this shitty old Toyota that he drove around, this shitty old Toyota truck. And I just fucking, I loved that truck, and I cried whenever he sold it. <laughs> oh. He had it for, like, 15 years, and I named it. Yeah. And, and I named what it. What was the name? I named it. <laughs> I called it Toyota. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you. You were a I creative child. I mean, I was child. a child. What, a, what an imagination on this one. Well, the problem was I asked my parents, I'm like, what's the name of the truck? Because I was really into everything having a name for a while. Yeah. Because I was really attached to my possessions because we were so broke for so long. <laughs> I would name balloons and shit, y'all. It was sad. <laughs> And I mean, you, you gotta find friends where they where you can find them. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I had friends like the weird little friends, but you literally um, made friends. I did. I made friends, and uh, the Toyota Toyota was one of my various friends. Oh, so, so when your dad sold uh, Toyota into slavery, 
no Toyota. The, I asked it. I'm so sad. I was like, where is Toyota gonna go? And they were like, well, Toyota is gonna go be part of an airplane wing. <laughs> oh, to get, okay. <laughs> get all crushed in like alum- recycled aluminum and shit. We're gonna take your friend and we're gonna basically deconstruct it. We're gonna, you know, take its limbs off and melt them down into a fine paste. Heat that up a lot. Let it cool in a mold. And then it'll be a part of a new creature. Yep. That's disgusting. Why? And sick. I mean, it's a we- kind of weird thing to tell a kid. You could have told me literally anything. But... Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but I was pretty skeptical. I think I probably asked like a hundred times. Yeah. I think for me, Nutter Butters are kind of associated with church more than anything. <laughs> Moving on to me. Yeah. Well, let's talk about me. Well, I'm, I'm done mean, hearing we, your story, Rachel. <laughs> we're all, we always do, don't we? <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, for me, uh, Nutter Butters are associated with church, church and Sunday school in particular. Really? They get, I mean, we, they never gave us snacks at Sunday school. Not even goldfish? Sometimes goldfish, I guess, but rare, very rarely. See, my church had money, so it was like... That's true, our church did not. <laughs> yeah, our, my church had a lot of money. And, uh, I mean, they eventually had, like, fucking so Xboxes in the... There was, like, 16 Xboxes in the fucking, uh, youth center or whatever. You could all play Halo together, which was awesome. And it also uh, brought me closer to God. But, uh, <laughs> what a dick. But yeah, we did um, in Sunday school when I was younger, as a younger kid, like that was kind of one of the treats that was kind of bought in bulk and nutter given butters? to. Yeah, Nutter Butters. Really? Yeah, Nutter Butters, Goldfish, Gummy Bears, that kind of thing, you know? This peanut butter is delicious. Is it? Where's it from? Trader Joe's. TJ's! <laughs> I'll give you a fucking... Trader Joe's does have great ingredients. If I could pimp myself, pimp out Trader Joe's and they would, like, give me a gift certificate for their fucking grocery store, I would be such a whore. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, am I a pimp or am I a whore? Who knows? But I'd be like, hey, buy shit from Trader Joe's. They've got their low, low fucking prices. <laughs> give me them Trader Joe dollars. I guess, like, so if you work for Trader Joe's, then you're a whore. But if you're, like, just selling Trader Joe's, then you're a pimp. I'm a pimp. Okay, good. They're the whore. Yeah, it kind of depends on where the paycheck. It depends on where the paycheck comes from. (laughs) I Um, just want some Trader Joe dollars. Yeah, isn't that like screwed up that like a church can have 16 Xboxes and you know what? All of those when they bought them, tax free. Uh. Yeah, no sales tax. You can bring a tax exempt form with you from my huge mega church and be like, these are for outreach purposes. (laughs) The end. You bring me like, closer to God. We're a church and we want to buy this thing, so it's tax free. That was a nine inch nails joke, y'all. Yeah. While <laughs> Jordan's talking about taxes, I'm making a nine inch nails Anyway, joke. yeah. If anyone has any uh, you know, complaints about how churches are not taxed, there there's a good example right there. Yeah, no shit. Churches should be taxed. But anyway, let's finish uh, let's finish making these delicious nutter butters okay. and then come back and taste them. Talk yeah. about a movie. Yeah. Alright. Sounds fun to me. Be right back. about your childhood and your movie experience like who is an actor that comes to mind my 
childhood. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't prepared to be questioned immediately. Oh, you're going to be interrogated quite, <laughs> oh, yeah? quite thoroughly. Yes. Oh, uh, does it, it an actor? Yeah, sure. Just somebody who pops in your mind and like kind of defines that era for you of like growing up, and uh... that's hard. Um, because I watched movies from a lot of movies from the seventies. Sure. Yeah. Well, what what does that mean for you then? Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, really? Yeah, Clint Eastwood was really, like, a big one for me, because, like, the first Clint Eastwood movie I saw was The Outlaw Josie Wales. It was so fucking good, and I saw it when I was, like, eight. So you were watching, like, fucking cool movies as a kid. Well, my dad liked Clint Eastwood. Well, I like Clint Eastwood. I think he's amazing. Who doesn't like Clint Eastwood? Yeah. But, I mean, I wasn't. I'm, but I didn't watch a lot of, like, live-action kids' movies because my parents thought that the kids were being defiant to authority <laughs> figures. Seriously. Yeah. So I didn't see a lot of, like live action kid movies i saw a lot of cartoons and i saw a lot of adult movies well this actually works really well then because uh the kids in the movie that we're going to watch are definitely defiant um for me growing up an actor that i associate with childhood uh very much so is robin williams and so today we're watching yes today we're watching hook by steven spielberg starring robin williams as peter banning and dustin hoffman as captain hook I have, yes. a st- I have so many stories surrounding this movie. Oh, well, give us one. Give us one right here, right off the bat. This is such a weird story. I hope my parents never hear this podcast. Okay, so my da- when my dad... Th- see, this for some reason, it's all like tied up in this era in my life when my dad was in grad school. But I was in grad school. He had a friend named Philip. And the, and whenever I was a kid, he would go like hang... They, he and Philip would go on canoeing trips and, like, go fishing and stuff. And my mom, I had no idea, but my mom was pissed about this, like, all the time. Yeah. I have no, and I, I mean, as an adult, I think I understand, but I'm not even going to make any speculations (laughs) about why my mom was so pissed about this. So anyway, one day my dad took me over to um, Philip's apartment, um, and he just he he put me in a back room with like a little tube tv yeah and the only movie that philip had that was appropriate for me was hook (laughs) and so they put hook on for me and they were like don't leave this room yeah and i was like okay it's adult time out here i guess i don't know i wonder it's some weird shit i don't know and so I sat in that back room on this, like, bed that was... It was, like, a bachelor's spare room. So it was, like, just piled with fucking old clothes and, like, weird shit. Yeah. And there was, like, a little bathroom attached to it. But it was just, like, the weirdest room for me and it was like dark the the the, he had blackout curtains on Mm -hmm. and so I like laid on this bed and watched Hook like twice. Yeah. Because I had nothing else to do. Because that's how long it takes for two closeted men to enjoy each other's company is two viewings of Hook. Two viewings of now, Hook. There's some, there's some seriously juicy speculation that we could get yeah. into about that entire may, story. I mean, they may have just been studying and they're just like, fucking stay out of our hair, child. It is possible. And like, I mean, you know, if if I found out that like your dad was gay uh, and had be been closeted for years... Well, yeah, it wouldn't be something that, like, really shocked me. Oh, he but at the like, same time, it's not something that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's definitely gay. Like, no. It's like, I don't know. He's one of those guys, it's like, the lady doth protest too much. Yeah, about, in some ways, about, yeah. About, like, gay stuff. 
he just he's always like disgusting yeah he's super homophobic and i'm like ah does that mean you actually like crave a ding dong dad yeah (laughs) it's it's one of those things it really is where it's like how do you like why do you spend so much energy thinking about this all the time like it makes me think that uh maybe you like it yeah i know uh i don't know Uh, but at the same time he could just be a hateful man so he could just be hateful or gay Uh, well it doesn't mean he can't be both (laughs) yeah a hateful self-loathing gay i don't know i i you know off the top of my head i don't think that your dad is gay but that is a really interesting story to Connected think to about Hook. in context. Hook is so, like, it's got so much homoeroticism in it. There is. I mean, there are uh, very few women in this movie. Um, That's true. The, well, you know, I, we'll talk about it, I guess, as we go through. There's, I mean, the biggest name is obviously Julia Roberts, who plays Tinkerbell. Um, oh, yeah. But I remember watching this a while back and thinking, like, oh, you know, she's really not in this as much as I thought she was, especially for Julia Roberts. Like, I this hate was like, Julia Roberts. I hate her, too. I, just, I hate the way she looks. I hate the way she acts. I don't like any of the, the roles that she plays. Yeah, um, I don't get it. There is absolutely nothing about her that I, I find enjoyable in any way. I'm sure she's a lovely human. We're not commenting on her as a human. We're commenting on her... I'm not sure career. that she is. I mean, she's a famous celebrity. She's probably a jerk. Like, yeah. Uh, that's just my assumption. Maybe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume jerk. I'm going to assume not jerk because I have to uphold sisterhood sometimes. Sure. And be like, women get shit on from all sides. I'm not going to add to, like, the shit flinging. Well, I mean, so if... To be... Let, let's, you know, do some equality here and, and do some shit flinging for some men. Because we got Dustin Hoffman in this movie, who's an extraordinarily Ooh. problematic person at this yeah, point. Yeah, he is. Uh, he was so good as Hook, I remember as a kid. For those of you who, who don't know, Dustin Hoffman was accused uh, earlier this year, or maybe late last year, of... Uh, or this was when he was accused, not when the events supposed, uh, allegedly occurred, but of sexually assaulting like around seven women. Assault? Assaulting or harassing. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of like unwanted exposure of genitalia is what he in some cases there was a woman who claimed uh, they were like on a broadway play together and he like every night before they went out on stage would like grab her breasts oh that's assault uh claimed that he uh also fingered her as well um, Uh, which is definitely assault um here like if you could like if anybody's listening who needs a clear definition of assault just call me I'll give you a clear definition of assault. That's assault. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so there's a a lot of that. I don't know if there was any, uh, like, forced intercourse of any kind. But at the same time, uh, we're talking about a man who's been accused of some pretty horrible things by a lot of people. Yeah. We need a trigger warning on this episode. Yeah, we'll put that in the the, um, comments ahead of time. Yeah. What's the deal with people who are like, oh, fuck trigger warnings? Like, who cares? It's just to give somebody a heads up so they don't get traumatized. Yeah. Like, it's not like I'm asking you not to say the thing. I'm just asking you to give me, like, a minute to prepare myself if I've been a, a subject of that trauma, okay? Yeah. Jesus. It's the same babies who are like, if you make a lady Ghostbusters, then it makes <laughs> the man Ghostbusters bad. Yeah. It like, doesn't. I, I don't see anything wrong with ahead of time saying like hey you know we're gonna talk about some stuff that might make some people very uncomfortable yeah and so just you know know that before you listen yeah it just um, it's just so you don't spring it on somebody yeah it's like bringing a puppy to uh, your friend's barbecue yeah. like nobody's gonna be 
necessarily upset with a puppy, but you need to warn people ahead of time that a puppy is coming so they can pick up their shit off the floor. Exactly. Yeah. Done. And I mean, so there hasn't been any kind of trial or anything where like, yeah. you know, Dustin Hoffman's been like convicted of crimes. So it's um, alleged. But I mean, I think we both agree here that, you know, we try to believe survivors and obviously like use your best judgment. But right. in, in most cases, like I do think it's worthy of investigation and there's really i'm sick to death of the claims that there's like people out there trying to get their hands on that sweet sweet rape money that doesn't exist <laughs> what was that from uh i don't it's know like what that is archer or something something like that but yeah. like you know in in except in a extremely rare cases and usually in cases where it's like not true yeah. Um, people do, are able to extort money from high-profile figures, but it's incredibly rare. Most of the time, the people who come forward with allegations are, like, uh, harassed and abused further, forced to relive trauma that no one would in their right mind ever choose to want to relive. There's no real good reason for someone to come out and falsely accuse, especially when there are seven of them. Oh, similar yeah. with Bill Cosby, where there's, like, dozens of women telling everybody, like, this happened. I mean, it's rough because there has to be, like, 28 of us saying, like, this dude did this stuff before anybody believes you. And yeah. it can't even be, like, two women co- corroborate. It has to be, like, 18 women. Exactly. It's exhausting. That's, that's how many women it takes to uh, equal one man's word. 18. <laughs> 18. <laughs> we'll never have a woman for president because we need 18 of them. Yeah. Oh my god, it, it is really, really depressing. But anyway, so Dustin Hoffman is in this movie, and uh, you know, despite the fact that he's a, a monster, like his portrayal of Captain Hook was pretty formative for my childhood. So yeah. I'm curious to see now, because even the last time we watched this, these allegations hadn't come out. So yeah. I'm curious to see now how I feel about him in this sure. movie. Um, you know. It'll be interesting, because I remember having a lot of empathy for Hook. We talked about this last night. Um, I had, when Growing up, I've always had a lot of empathy for people who were portrayed as villains. Sure. Always. Are um, you talking about the character of Captain Hook, or are you talking about Dustin Hoffman? Oh, not Dustin Hoffman. Captain Hook. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. In fiction, in fiction, my friends. Sure, sure. Not in real life. Like, I got no empathy for Charles Manson. Well, let's talk about, real quick before we get into this. Let's talk about... Uh, the artist and art and like separating it we've had this talk a few times in private why before. do we have to do the art artist and art first well okay let's uh, you know get into uh what you're gonna say but i was i was thinking because if we have that context mm-hmm. in the view then we can like feel free to speak about dustin hoffman's performance in the lens of how we feel about him as a person make you feel better we can do that first i don't care but what do you think about because like we have differing views on separating the art from the artist do we i thought we did didn't we because like in some ways like you know i one of my favorite movies is chinatown and the guy who made that movie is a A roman child molester and a rapist yeah oh that's right i see what you're saying um so i'm actually getting more moderate in my views about this Um, really i am which is separating the art from the artist. I like artists, I like art to exist on its own. And I think that that's really um, like a privileged thing to do and something that, you know, it's easy for me to say because I'm not the person whose life was ruined by the person who made that art. Sure. 
Um, but at the same time, if I know that the artist is particularly like Roman Polanski, but like a predator, yeah. it's like a fly in the bisque for me. It right. doesn't really matter how delicious the soup is. Like, it's always in the back of my mind, oh, this guy drugged and assaulted little girls. Yeah. It's true. Um, so and it it's ruins it. incredibly difficult. Like, for me, for some reason, I don't know, it feels, I feel so detached from it, from those events. I mean, there are horrible, terrible things that happen in the world every day. Mm-hmm. And, like, I live in the world and experience things in the world that I'm sure... In like almost everything that I do has some kind of a butterfly effect that somewhere touches like sex trafficking or you know benefits somebody who is a bad person. And I think whatever. that's like particularly evident with our consumption. Sure. Like <clears throat> probably the most uh, the most effect that we have is in what we buy, like what we yeah. consume. And I mean, I'm super guilty of that. Like I'm looking around this house right now, and I'm like, well. There's some shit that was probably made in a sweatshop in Indonesia. Little Um, children, slave hands made that. Yep. And it's in my house. And I I compartmentalized it and detached myself. Yeah. Because I want to be comfortable. I think uh, (laughs) this goes into, I mean, responsible consumption in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Because, so so my view on art and artists is that they can be separated. You can find a way to learn something about yourself or uh, pull emotions from a piece of art that was created by a monster or a terrible person. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, it's important in terms of responsible consumption to try to not support that person as much as possible. Right. Um, And obviously, like, no one has infinite knowledge, so we can't make that decision about every single thing that we ever do. But if, if you do know that someone is, you know, uh, like a rapist is financially benefiting from you purchasing that DVD, maybe don't buy that DVD. Because there are infinite other movies. And, and we talked about this, too, about, like, the whole James Gunn thing. Oh, yeah. With, uh, for those of you who don't know, James Gunn is the Guardians of the Galaxy director, and he was recently fired for some things he said on Twitter uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. That were extremely... <laughs> um, was it like pedophilic and like weird, weird, uh, rape jokes and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, go on. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> shit. What was I talking about? We talked James Gunn. Yeah. James Gunn and oh, art from artists. Yeah, art. Yeah, separating the art from the artist and that kind of thing. Oh, I've lost the thought. Well, I mean, so you, we were talking about this yesterday about how when he wrote those things he was kind of considered like a provocateur uh the movies that he made were meant to be offensive in some cases in some ways like gross or shocking in like a howard stern or um you know the similar type of thing like he was a shock artist uh but you know he did make those statements in a public forum yeah he said some things that were like Disney said, they're indefensible. They're not something that you can look at and be like, oh, no, it's okay to say that, like, it's funny to diddle little boys. Like, that's, I mean, that's not okay to say, it's especially in public. And also, and also, it's like, for him, what I, oh, that, now I remember what I was going to say. I was going to say that there are hundreds and hundreds of women and people of color 
and women of color and queer people who could take his job and like yeah because white men are a dime a dozen in Hollywood come on just <laughs> we're, give, really, we're, we're everywhere just, just give me give a fucking give a queer woman of color Guardians of the Galaxy I I entreaty you Disney that's your task you give a queer woman of color directorship of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a guaranteed moneymaker right there. Like, you know that people want to push back against, like, something like this and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to support that person. But then you might also get, you might lose the white male audience that's, uh, like, oh, no SJW shit in my, in my media, in my comic books, or in my video games. <laughs> I'm sick of that. God, I fucking hate women, yeah. is basically what they're saying. But, I mean, we talked about, you know, James Gunn said those things like 10 years ago. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, is it fair to be punished for something that you said 10 years ago? And we actually had an interesting conversation, because at first I was kind of leaning towards, like, no, that's, that's unfair. But after talking to you, we kind of worked this out together and figured, I mean, at least from my perspective, I think of it now as... You know, at the time, like, those provocative jokes and those things that he kind of used to, like, brand himself as a certain type of director really did benefit him. And he gained a yeah. lot in his career. It's called, and, go it's, ahead. It's called paying the piper, y'all. Yeah, it's called paying the piper. Like, he, because he used that, uh, those rape jokes and those pedophilia jokes to get himself in a position where he can make a lot of money directing movies like Guardians of the Galaxy. And with no consequences, other yeah. than, you know, some. I'm sure there were people at the time who were saying, like, oh, this is inappropriate or whatever, but he's not high profile enough for it to really matter. Yeah. And so he continues on in his upward trajectory of his career, gains a lot, and then now, he, now it comes forward, and now you actually have something to lose by those things that you posted out there. And I was talking about how fables have addressed this. Like, this has been going on for fucking ever, y'all. Yeah. It's just, like, a lot more enhanced in public now, but, like... The Pied Piper, they're just like, no, nah, we're not going to pay you. And he fucking comes back and takes all their kids. Yeah. Like, also, <laughs> exactly. any Faustian bargain? Right, like, yeah. Like, sorry, man, you sold your soul to the devil. Like, you have given up all your freedom. Like, when you, when you say those kind of things, when you put those things out there in a place that, like, will never be forgotten, the internet, it's always there. It will never, ever go away. Yeah. Then that becomes a part of you. A part of you that people have to learn to either accept or reject when they come across you. Like, yeah. Disney is a company that's supposedly for kids. And they've got a director who in his past has things like promote, well, not promoting, but joking about pedophilia and rape. Like, you can't sorry. get that publicity with Disney. I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen. They fucking wouldn't, like, if James Gunn had a sister, she wouldn't let him come to her six-year-old's birthday party. Yeah, exactly. If, he's, if she read those tweets. Yeah, no way. Because no. there is just no way, even no matter how much personal growth you've had, it's not okay to have that black cloud over... The Disney company's reputation or your sister's reputation or any of your friends. Like, people don't want to be associated with And that. also, when you say those things, why would you say those things if there wasn't a glimmer in your consciousness that maybe you wanted to do those things? Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, it's possible. I'm, I, like, I can't tell you because I'm not a pedophile or a rapist. But like, Good job, Jordan. Yeah, I am. Gold, gold fucking clap, star. Everybody fucking clap for me right now. <laughs> not a pedophile, not a rapist. Praise me. Gold star. Uh, but yeah, like what? I mean, I, I don't know if 
he's that kind of person I like to assume that he probably isn't because of just through his art and everything like he's kind of shown that he doesn't think that that stuff is okay but he thinks it's like funny to joke about it which I don't think is appropriate but at the same time it's different from actually wanting to participate in those yeah no well that's the thing like you can think about it and reason about it all day long but that doesn't like dispute the fact that it won't spark that at least that seed of doubt in people oh that's you saying that shit that's definitely true and uh, that's another good reason that, you know, he never should have said those things. Yeah, dummy. Like, if you're going to say something and put it out there on the internet for everyone to see, be able to defend it to yourself yeah. and to others. Be able to live with it because that's something that's there and it becomes a part of you. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we kind of got off on a rabbit trail here, but uh, as far as separating art from the artist, mm-hmm. um, in the James Gunn scenario, like, you know, I, 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 when he says that he's grown as a person, he doesn't act that way anymore. I look at his Twitter feed and see that that is the case. He doesn't make those kind of jokes anymore. Like, I, I can believe that, you know, he didn't, he doesn't think that stuff is funny anymore. But I don't think that means he's off the hook. Yeah. And I don't think that means he shouldn't be punished. Words. Like, there's consequences. Oh, yeah. Words. So, my coworker Tony, has a five-year-old son, and she tells him all the time, words matter. Because they do. That's a very smart thing to tell somebody. It's just, like, the wisest thing. Words matter. Yeah. Fucking listen to Tony. And that's a lesson that President Trump is learning quite daily that like you can't just say whatever like you're gonna like somebody's gonna get pissed off and those people do have some form of control over you they have nuclear weapons there's things you gotta there's things you gotta think about yeah (laughs) more more than just saying what's on your mind shut the fuck up somebody's gonna kill us so bringing this back to dustin hoffman then like yeah for hook a very bit of what we think who we think might be a very bad person uh, is probably a very bad person. Like, is he a good actor? I mean, honestly, I don't think he's the greatest actor ever. Sure. Uh, even before this stuff was going on, I think that he's one of those people who, when he first started in his career, he was a good actor. And then yeah. from that point on, he was kind of just Dustin Hoffman. He's Dustin Hoffman in uh, Underwater with Samuel L. Jackson and <laughs> and them in Sphere. He's Dustin Hoffman in this role and that role. Like, he he's really... just playing himself. He was really good in The Graduate. In different outfits. Yeah, but I mean, that's like almost 40 years ago. Yeah. So like, I I don't think that we can count something like that. Um, That's where he kind of made a name for himself, but... Talk about a fucking creepy predatory movie, y'all. Yeah. But I mean, I think in Hook, we'll we'll talk about it later after we watch it again. Like, I remember liking his portrayal of Captain Hook. I thought it was funny and entertaining. A lot of people hate this movie. Yeah. I think I'm going to hate it. Yeah? why, Why do you think so? I think it's going to be a lot more boring than uh, it was it now than it was when I was a kid because there was like fart jokes and splattery rainbow paint <laughs> in it and like when you're five, you know you're yeah. stupid. It's a blast to uh, have a food fight and skateboard around the house, but mm-hmm. nowadays you do that and you're like, oh, I fucking scuffed up my floors and walls. And now there's food everywhere, and I'm going to have to clean this up because I'm responsible. I'm an adult. There's no mommy or daddy to clean this shit up for you while you sit in your room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it may be frustrating, it but maybe it'll give us that childlike wonder. I don't again. think so. I think it's going to be too long. I think it's going to drag ass. I think it's going to have a maudlin, sappy lesson that I hate. Yeah. Which I hated. That's another thing. When I was a kid, I hated people telling me... How to feel about shit. And 90s movies are ripe with this. They too. are. They're just like, 
you should love your mommy and daddy. They do nice things for you. And I'm like, uh, you don't fucking know my mommy and daddy. Yeah. I was thinking, I always think that. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of cliche messages in this movie too. Like one of the big nineties things was like, uh, either like dad doesn't spend enough time with his kids or like kid wants his father's approval. This movie mashes them both up into this movie. Um, so it's not anything that we haven't seen before or a million times after, but, uh, you know, it is a Steven Spielberg movie, so it's probably going to be done fairly well at the very least. Yeah. Um, no, no, I hated war horse. Well, okay, so we can't say that every Steven Spielberg movie was good. That's what I'm saying. I don't think this is going to be one of the good ones. Uh, I think it... So, this movie is a production, uh, for sure. Like, they have huge sets in this movie. There's, like, a whole pirate town. There's a fucking, like, enormous treehouse set that they all live in with the Lost Boys and shit. Like, this movie was, like, a Hollywood production. And I think it's impressive that they were even able to pull it off at all, considering all the different moving parts that are involved in this movie. But uh, That's fine. I mean, somebody could build a beautiful sculpture out of dog shit. <laughs> that doesn't... Yeah, I guess that doesn't mean that it's a good movie. Yeah. But, um... So tell me, what do you expect to get out of this movie? What do you, what do you expect about the story? I think that the Tower of Dog Shit is now my new metaphor for this movie. <laughs> which level, which floor on the Tower of Dog Shit does the, does the story occupy? Or That's do you gonna, expect the story to occupy? If the Dog Shit Tower had 11 floors, I think this one would be on like, the story would be at the tippy top. The 11th. Is that good or bad? That's bad, because that's that's, that's where all the flies land. (laughs) So, I mean, do you have, do you think it's in any way imaginative or exciting to have, like, if somebody came up to you and this movie hadn't been made before, and they were like, oh, we're going to make a movie about where it's Peter Pan, but he grew up in, like, in the real world and forgot about Neverland, and he's going to go back and, like, find himself. If Tim Burton approached me with this, but Tim Burton only in, from 1990 to 1994 yeah. approached me with this, I'd be like, yes. Yeah. But any Tim Burton after 1994, well, was this her hands, 95? I don't know, but it was sometime around there. Yeah, okay, I'm going to give it a wider berth, 97. Yeah, I don't think it was that way. Well, that's my berth. Okay. I would say yes, go for it. If Steven Spielberg approached me, I'd be like, you're going to fucking try and teach me something, aren't you, Steven? And he's going to be like, what? No, I just love World War II history. Okay. I'm like, fuck off, Steven, no. So, yeah, I mean. Depends on who approached me with it is the answer. I was never really, like, of all the Disney properties and, like, old um, old classic stories, I was never a huge Peter Pan fan. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't, like, a serious child or anything, but, like, pirates and and flying... I mean, I liked flying, but pirates were not really my thing as much. I liked soldiers and uh, sci-fi stuff a little bit more. Yeah, you always talk about that. So, like, this story, I mean, it didn't interest me all that much as a kid. Yeah. But I do remember that I enjoyed um, kind of the adult take on everything in a way. Yeah. I mean, there's just like, it's like, okay, let's follow this world out to its logical conclusion. Sure. And this is what it would look like in a uh-huh. fantasy realm. 
I guess in that way, it kind of gets me excited. But overall, like, you know, I don't think I really cared that much about this story. The uh, just Peter Pan? You didn't care about the Peter Pan story? You didn't care about the story in this movie? Um, both. Really? Yeah. So you don't think you're going to like it now? Did you like this movie? I did. I liked it a lot. I actually was, so I, we haven't talked about Robin Williams like at all, but yeah. Robin Williams was the, a huge part of my childhood. And uh, I mean, I didn't know the man, but I was sad when he died. And, you know, that was mm-hmm. uh, just hard to, to kind of deal with. Like we talked about this, like when somebody famous, like um, ends their life or turns out to be addicted to drugs and overdoses or something like it kind of is like, you know, you have an identity who's wrapped up in this person. Sure. And so you think to yourself, like, oh, you know, I know this person in some ways. And they know me because we have similar feelings or um, or whatever. Uh, similar thoughts on life. And then when somebody, you know, is found dead for whatever reason. Yeah. You're like, oh, I guess I didn't know this person after all. It makes yeah. you feel kind of foolish. It does. It makes you feel kind of betrayed. And a little betrayed. Yeah, it's like, okay, you weren't the person I thought you were. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Robin Williams, like, was kind of a symbol of happiness for me. Yeah. Like, when I see his, like, because he has, like, such a sparkling, like, such sparkling eyes and, like, a very happy smile. He does have, like, a pretty spar- sparkling countenance. Yeah, like, when I was a kid, when I thought about, um, you know, what, like, when I thought of the emotion of happy, like, it, his face would pop up. Really? Yeah. That's just kind of, like, it was extremely formative for me in that way. Sure. Uh, so that was the reason that I liked this movie more than anything else. Was it made me feel good. It made me feel... Um, like all is well in the world. Yeah, like all is well. Like everything's going to be fine. Um, like, you know, it's fun to be happy and it's okay to be happy. Wow. So, you know, it's just... Uh, it, it's tough to to watch this later and, and think about, you know, the kind of pain that he was going through and the, maybe all of this was... Not real. Like, his happiness wasn't... (laughs) Well, he was an addict. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, So it's hard to watch that kind of thing. Sure. But, and uh, so I think I'm going to have some complicated feelings about this movie. I don't think I'm going to like it as much as I used to. Really? Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... I'm not as playful a person as I used to be. (laughs) I'm a very serious man. I get excited about uh, filing my taxes now, and that's just... I am Peter Banning, I guess. The, the character of Peter Banning, who Robin Williams plays, where he's like basically the mundane version of Peter Pan in the real world, where he's kind of become a businessman and uh, doesn't do... have fun anymore. Fuck that. So this movie's got the whole childlike innocence and joy and happiness message to it. Like, don't get lost to the, the world of responsibility. Well, that's too goddamn bad, because yeah. we got to be lost to the world of responsibility. Yeah, like, Neverland doesn't exist. Like, I don't know. We're <laughs> like, hey, is, listeners. It really doesn't. I'm a lot more serious now. Dreams are great, but you got to have a little bit of security um, and a stable platform to launch your dreams. Sure. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to see how I feel about this movie. I think that you're not going to like it at all. I think you're going to be bored. There's yeah. uh, so many men in this and so few women. And the women that are in it are not really prominently featured. Um, as far as race goes, I think there's one black person in this entire movie. But the leader, Julio, Julio? Rufio. Rufio. You, you <laughs> Philistine. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh, remember. Julio. Julio, well, he's... Looks like he's Filipino. Uh, I think he is, actually. 
Um, I can't remember his name, but I've got to I've got to check it and look it up. Uh, but yeah, Rufio is a person of color. There's uh, I think his name is Chubbs. There's this fat black kid who's one of the Lost Boys. Yeah. And... There's another black boy, isn't there? Oh, you know there is. I think he's like a skinnier, like nerdier one. I think nerdier Lost Boy. I think so. Are there any um, Latin X individuals? Um, I think there is one kid who's like... It's speculative. But I, he, he may be Italian. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, God. He looks swarthy. I'll say that. <laughs> swarthy? What's swarthy, Dad? Yeah. But he's got, you know, he's very, uh, he's got a darker complexion and dark hair and he looks uh, yeah. suave and, and uh, Latino. So we'll see. Dark and I don't remember. Son. I think his last name's Rodriguez, but I'll have to check it out. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there is some racial representation, but not in any of the major roles or mm-hmm. anybody who really matters to the plot. Um, they're just kind of around, which is better than nothing, I guess, but you know, what are you gonna, uh, you don't deserve a prize yeah, don't go for crazy. race relations or anything. Don't, yeah. you don't get the diversity award hook. <laughs> so it looks like, uh, the Nutter Brothers are coming together. So we're going to take a break. And we'll uh, review these cookies, and then we'll watch Hook and tell you what we think. Yeah. You don't understand uh, how lucky I am here. Uh, Rachel is brewing some deliciously fresh espresso. Yeah. I've got a great little espresso machine. I love it. We went to a coffee shop that will not be named in New Orleans. (laughs) And I got an espresso and it was just like watery and filled with grounds. It was horrible. Not good. And so when I got home, I was like, I have to have some real espresso. You know what? I'm going to name it because I don't want people going there and being like, I wish you would have told me. It's Pacino's Coffee over on uh, Old Metairie Road. Like the place, uh, it's kind of close out to Jefferson. Mm -hmm. uh, And man, it is not good. The, uh, I want to think that the barista was incredibly rushed because she was working all by by herself herself, and they have a drive through and there were like three people in that. And then there was like three people in the line inside too. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give her a little bit of a break, but that stuff was so awful. That mocha was like the worst thing. It was a mocha with no, with no chocolate in it. Uh, but yeah, so on the opposite end of the spectrum, Rachel is brewing us some espresso right here in the house. Yeah. And it looks and smells amazing. And the crema, uh, looks good as well. It's yeah, nice and thick. And the reason for this is because the homemade nutter butters are done. Yep. And we're going to eat it with. Uh, the espresso, which sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, Rachel, what do you think about the look of these cookies? I actually think these turned out real pretty. They look really good. They look professionally done, I think. Yeah, let's put that in a... Like, these are... um, The cookies came out so circular. Yeah, they are. They're really nice. And smooth. They they look like they're made of of peanut butter. Yeah, and they mostly are. It's mostly mostly peanut butter. Because you said it's just like peanut butter and egg and erythritol... Yep, and, and salt, uh, salt for the cookies. For the cookies themselves. Crazy. 
And then uh, we tried some of the filling earlier mm-hmm. just out of the bowl, and it tasted like the inside of a Reese's Pieces, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's take a bite of these. Okay. See how they Ready. are. Oh. Oh, that filling is so creamy. Well. Hmm. Our listeners are like, gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Peanut butter makes pretty disgusting noises. Mm-hmm. But... That is really good. Yeah, those are really um, good. I don't think it's fair to call those nutter butters because mm-hmm. they're so much better. There's, <laughs> uh-huh. no, I mean, nutter butters are like kind of chalky and a little pasty. Mm-hmm. Like these are, these have the peanut butter flavor of nutter butters, mm-hmm. but they are so smooth and so creamy. They're really good. Yeah. Oh my god, the cookie is so much better than I would have anticipated. Um, it's oh, kind of. Espresso with that's so good too. Oh yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Um, continue. Oh yeah, the espresso is really good with it. Yeah, it it really like kind of washes that peanut flavor mm-hmm. down your throat with a coffee river. It's nice. <laughs> coffee river. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, the cookie's nice and tender. It's not super crisp, but I didn't want it to be super crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, the filling is exactly what I wanted. It's smooth and not grainy at all. Yeah. The filling into is insanely it. smooth. I'm so into it. The cookies it. themselves, while they're not like chewy, mm-hmm. they are they aren't crispy either. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of got like a they have a density to them that gives them like a certain weight when you bite into it. Yeah, they're short, that's but they're like a little called. crumbly. Yeah, like like a mm-hmm. shortbread. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it's that's a short dough. Hmm. That's what that's called. How does that happen? Um, short doughs are produced when you have really high fat. Um. High fat, like dough, pastry, um, and generally, like they're about you roll them out and they don't spread much. Okay. So it's like, I mean, shortbread, like you said earlier, like a shortbread cookie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, these are absolutely delicious. Yeah, they are. Good. My one problem with uh, peanut butter cookies is that. Peanut butter is sticky. Yeah. And so when you eat it, it's like you got to have a beverage nearby. Yeah. Um, so warning to the listeners, make sure you got a beverage nearby because <laughs> these are, are definitely going <laughs> to make you lick the roof of your mouth. Hey, man, I got a beverage here. <laughs> some good old Lebowski. But yeah, let's uh, let's eat these cookies and watch some Hook. What All do you right. say? I'm into it. Oh, well, I guess, wait, um, are these a, a delight or a disaster? Oh, I think these are a delight. They're a delight. I mean, do we even need to have a disaster possibility for the uh, things that you make? Because, like, we have yet maybe. to have one that wasn't any good. Mm, maybe. I mean, they they do look a disaster sometimes, but these don't. Oh, and you know what? Yeah. Shout out to my sister, Lauren. Um, Hi, Lauren. What are we shouting out Lauren for? She made a... Uh, she made one of the um, lava cakes from last week's episode 11 with yeah. the mask. Uh, and she shared a picture of it on Facebook. Um, in the comments for that episode. Tasty. And it looked good. And uh, she said it was delicious. So. Oh, hey, Lauren. Further proof, y'all. Make these recipes. Send us the pictures. We'd love to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't send me pictures of your ding-dong. Or yeah. maybe you should. So <laughs> yeah, can... we'll, we'll comment and review your penis if you send us a picture. Uh, and we will not be kind. We will be brutally honest with you. I like how this turned into a wee activity. 
Well, I'm not going to let you go and look at it. You can't just lock yourself in a room and stare at penises all day without me. I Come can't. On. Oh, okay. Yeah. I this forgot. is a marriage. Wait, we do everything together. Was that in our vows? It should have been. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> retcon right now. Oh, okay. let's, let's retcon our marriage. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, we'll be back. We're going to go watch Hook and eat these peanut butter cookies. Okay, so finally, after like two and a half hours. Jesus Christers, how could that be a kid's movie? <laughs> Hook is over. Rachel, give us that back of the box DVD blurb. Oh man, I have to do it every time and yet I'm never expecting you're it. Ne- you're never prepared for it. I'm never prepared for it. Um, but that's what I like about it. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Steven Spielberg dishes out a morally inconsistent <laughs> glob of pastel paste. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I was going to say something along the lines of like um frenetic movie oscillates between maudlin and irreverent like as quickly as possible or something like that. Jesus. It's this, like shaking a baby. This movie is kind of all over the place. Um just like shaking a baby. When yeah. you shake that baby, it goes all over the place. Well, but. you know, that's the main thing that I kind of want to talk about in this is actually parenting. Yeah. Um, which is a, an interesting idea It did seem theme. to be a, a major theme of the movie, which I didn't recognize when I first saw this movie. Yeah. I, I, but I definitely want to talk about parenting and why, um, why I would be a terrible parent. As evidenced by my solution of my metaphor of shaking a baby. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's so final, such a final solution. Jesus, don't quit saying that. Uh, what? 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 It is. You're just like what? Final solution? Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to this movie of Hook. Um. So, uh, initial thoughts on the movie. How do you feel about it? Um, I liked the first part. Before he goes to Neverland? Yeah, before he goes to Neverland. I liked that part, but I didn't like it all the way. I think it probably could have been cut by about 20 minutes. Yeah, and you know, there is like... (laughs) I I like the beginning part, too, in the real world or whatever, but it has some of the most annoying music. Oh, my God. Uh, You mentioned it a couple of times, just like, oh, my God, I hate this. I hate this music. It sounds like a fucking... Calliope had sex with a discotheque. It's awful. <laughs> Calliope had sex with a discotheque. For me, it's it sounded a lot like uh, really annoying Final Fantasy music, where you're like in a hotel or like a marketplace or something. Uh, it's like, ding, 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 ding. Like, what the fuck is going on here? The rest of the soundtrack is not like that it's at not. all. It's not. It's really weird and strange. And, like, is it supposed to, like, evoke, like, a sense of Frasier or something? A sense of Frasier? <laughs> is, that what, is that what this movie's soundtrack is trying to do? 
Oh man, a sense of Fraser. Yeah. Sounds like a literary theory. I don't know. The, yeah, but yeah, for me, the first twenty minutes evoke a sense of Fraser. They're, they're really weird. I, the the nineties had a, had real weird obsessions with like childhood and fatherhood and meeting dad's expectations seem to be yeah like an odd one this is i think i actually wrote this down in here somewhere too is that um you know a lot of these movies around the 90s i think we talked about it while we were watching a little bit like they all kind of deal with these same themes yeah and so like this movie's not contributing much to the in the messaging category where it's like, oh, you really taught me something new about life. No. I guess like if this is, if this was your first experience with a movie where there's like, okay, this is a non-present father and a son who craves his attention, and that's where the conflict comes from. And a daughter who just accepts shit, I guess. The daughter, the daughter just absolutely loves her family from start to finish for some uh, reason without any wavering doubt ever. That's how daughters are supposed to be. And so, like, even when Captain Hook is, like, doing his manipulative brainwashing shit, he, he, he even realizes, like, I gotta get this chick out of here because she's spoiling this whole thing. <laughs> I'm trying to brainwash this kid, and she just loves her family. Like, we gotta get her out of here before her infection spreads. That's right. Get quick quarantine her with the other yeah. 19 children we have captured here. Yeah, that kind of brings me to the point of that there are very few women in this movie. Yeah, very and few women. the ones that do... Uh, get deliberately silenced by the other characters. Yeah. Or removed from the situation. So it's just like, we're not going to see you anymore. No, and they're all like support characters or just there to like boost the male characters. Um, story arc. Yeah, I think, so we've got Forgettable Wife. I think her name's Moira. Did you write that? I wrote that. Forgettable Wife. I didn't. But my first note is, how dumb the kids looked in the play. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you psychopath. They Didn't did. pick on those little kids. Just like, you look dumb in they your did. play, kid. Well, they, they, it was the kids in the audience that looked so dumb. And oh, used yeah, because they have, bo- yeah, their mouths are just hanging open. It used to bother me when I was a kid because one of them was like picking her nose. Yeah. And I was like, ugh. Wait, you weren't like that? You weren't a booger, a filthy booger eater? Oh, I mean, I was not a filthy booger eater. I did pick my nose and still do, but I... Yeah. Was taught. Oh, ditto. Was taught very early. Don't do that shit in public. Yeah, don't sit there with it just like your mouth agape. Picking your nose at a play. <laughs> scratching the inside of your nose just blatantly. At you gotta, a, you gotta be like, you know, do the the one handed, um, you know, kind of rake across the nostrils. That's the way you do it. Yeah. Uh, just loosen that shit up for hours, and then when it's ready, you just like a quick little in and out. Boop. Got it. In the bathroom. Discreet. Jesus Christ, Jordan, let me say one goddamn thing. <laughs> when it comes to booger eating, you, I've got the final word. <laughs> we, we know that. We both know that. <laughs> Jordan went to a Christian private school. He's automatically a booger eater. I'm a booger eater who deserves to be bullied, Rachel says. I didn't say deserves to be bullied. <laughs> Just would have been. Would have been bullied. Yeah, yeah, I didn't say deserves. Deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to channel Unforgiven to talk about school bullying. Um, but yeah, so stupid kids and the, the kids are portrayed, um, widely and diversely in this movie. Yeah, you can say that about it. Like we were wrong when we were both like, yeah, there's only like two characters of color. There's actually a good, a good number of children of color. There are a ton of them. And 
In fact, I would say the majority of the, like, speaking time that's given to any lost boy character Mm -hmm. is given to a person of color. I would say that, too. Uh, I think by probably an overwhelming majority. Yeah. But you know what? I had an insidious thought about that. Oh. Um, Because... And I don't know. I'm I'm projecting here and trying to, you know, place some uh, pessimistic ideas about the uh, casting director (laughs) and everything into the ether. But there is... So the Lost Boys are portrayed as, like, very primal and savage, kind of living in the jungles. Yeah, but there's lots of white kids, too. There are, but those kids are kind of background set dressing. And I wonder if if it is this cynical to think that Hollywood thought, you know what, we can put black kids in these roles and people of color in these roles and get away with it in their minds like with the racist crowd who doesn't want to see diversity and stuff like that by passing this off as being like okay we're we're kind of playing into stereotypes a little bit stereotypes that middle america adheres to I think that's a stretch. You think it's a stretch? I think that's really a stretch. It was a conspiracy theory thought. I know. It's, I've got to keep you away from collapse. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be reading Crossing the Rubicon while I'm away. <laughs> yeah, for you guys who uh, are into conspiracy theories, there's a, a guy named Michael Rupert who uh, committed suicide not too long sad. ago. Which is sad. He had, a, he had a sad life. But he was a conspiracy theorist. And self-described journalist who, uh, you know, is into 9-11's an inside job. Um, peak oil. Peak oil, CIA smuggling cocaine. Uh, there is truth in some of his stuff, but a lot of it is conjecture and it's all strange. But I, <laughs> I like his stuff a lot because it, it thrills me. It thrills me yeah, to read. Yeah, it's like reading a fucking Tom Wolfe novel. It is, it is. But then there's like ties to truth. Sure. But anyway, Hook, where there are no ties to truth. No, there's no ties to to truth. I mean, the second thing I have on my list is jokes about death. There was a lot of jokes about death in this. There was a lot of jokes about death and a lot of actual death. And a lot of, like, talking about how death is the greatest adventure. Yeah, that's true. Hook says that, and so does Peter Pan at one point. And I think they're kind of like dark reflections of each other. What what things about death do you remember? Um, Rubio dies, and it where everybody's just like, "Oh, sad Rubio" for like thirty seconds, and then everybody just goes back to their business. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember thinking because like Peter Pan flies away mm-hmm. uh, into the sunset with his kids, and everybody's like standing there smiling and waving, and one of the littlest Lost Boys goes, "That was a great game." And I'm thinking to myself, there's Rufio getting his eye plucked out by a crow on the fucking poop deck over there, (laughs) all alone, (laughs) with no one to hold him or mourn him at all. What a great day. What a great game. Yeah. Fuck you, kid. Yeah. People died. I also, I mean, here's my conspiracy theory. Here's (laughs) my conspiracy theory, or maybe it's just a fun thought experiment. I think the Island of the Lost Boys is actually... A place where the souls of lost boys go when they die. <laughs> oh, man, that is grim. That yeah. is so grim. And, like, Peter Pan, he actually, when he was talking about how he ran away from his mom. Right. Because he was afraid of growing up, because he was afraid of death, actually, like, rolled his his carriage, like, rolled down the hill, and he rolled into the fucking, what's the river that runs through England? The, the, the Rhine? I, I can never say it right. The, the Sign? T- the Thames? Thames. 
Yeah. The Thames? Thames? Is that how you say it? We're Americans. I'm not British. We're Americans. We're fucking bad at geography, y'all. Well, I know where it is. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Thames. Because, like, it sounds very British, and I don't like to try to pretend to say it, because I feel pretentious. The Thames. The, the Thames. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just going to call it the Thames, because I'm American. Thames. And, uh, you know, I don't want to take that from somebody else. You guys get to be the smart colony. But yeah, so Peter Pan's carriage or whatever, baby carriage, rolls down to the Thames. And just, like, falls in, yeah. and he, he dies and drowns, but his baby soul goes to the... It's like limbo. Jesus Christ. It's li- <laughs> Listen, it's like limbo. And, you know, where all the unchristened babies go, according yeah. to Catholics... But limbo is just never neverland and like their souls grow up oh, and yeah. the limbo of never neverland. Well, well. But I mean nobody grows up in never neverland though. Yeah, so, but they age cuz Peter was like a baby, remember? He was, but he didn't spend all of his time in neverland. He like came out and like did his aging there. What the fuck are you talking about? It never explicitly said that. Well, I mean he did it one well Maybe so. I don't know how he did it in between baby years and like yeah. ten year old Peter years. But every time he went out in the real world, he aged, I guess, and yes. he was like addicted to going out into the real world. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's why. And he so aged. then, like, he eventually fell in love with uh, Wendy's granddaughter. Moria. You know what? Can we talk about this real quick? The weird romantic Sex and sexual stuff? tension between several characters in this movie. Yeah. Let's. I guess let's go ahead and talk about that. It starts. Strangely, with Grandma Wendy. Weird! It it was, I mean, Maggie Smith has been old forever. Forever. She's looked like she's 90 years old. I don't know how the hell she's still clinging to life. But she's a treasure and she deserves to to live. It's because she's a lick. A lick? What is that? L-I-C-H? Oh, 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 like a, uh, I always pronounced it lich. Like a lich king? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was lick. Lick? I mean, lick sounds... Terrifying. More, Lick sounds more like serious fantasy. And yeah. Lich sounds like, oh, Peter Jackson's the Hobbit. He, he has liches in his. You, yeah. have, you have licks in your, like, 24-book uh, series yeah. <laughs> that you've written. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you just wait, everyone. I'm going to take the world by Lick Storm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I don't think that Maggie Smith is a lich. What a horrible thing to say. How can you look at that woman... <laughs> And think lich to yourself. Well, you don't have to necessarily be evil to be a lich. I did. Well, and at the same time, you know, I don't judge you. Because I did say that Maggie Smith is a beautiful skeleton. <laughs> she looks like a beautiful skeleton. How can ske- you judge me? She looks like a beautiful undead. So, beautiful lich undead. maybe is appropriate. But I don't like the negative connotation. Well, that's your problem. She's a sweet person. And even though she may be undead, she's, she's, a, sweet, she's a sweetie pie. Okay, projecting much? She probably would come through this door and slap you. (laughs) (laughs) You're the one calling her a lich. Uh, But, yeah, Peter Pan, or Peter Banning, I guess, at this point, because he's, like, in the real world. Robin Williams' character has, like, some strange tension between him and Wendy, because I guess they were, like, she was, it it is kind of explicitly explained that she was, like, in love with him uh, when they were kids, and that when she realized that he wasn't going to grow up, she kind of moved on, but she's always kind of held a candle for him. And there are some weird scenes where they're kind of, like, leaning in intimately, yeah. like, close to each other yeah. and, like, staring into each other's eyes. Yeah. And it's, like, an odd 
passionate focus that the camera has on this. Oh, it's weird. And I mean, I understand that that might exist if we like take Peter Pan out to its logical conclusion, but... Did this, we have to? This is a PG movie in the mid-90s, supposedly for kids, isn't it? I don't know. My, again, my question is, but did we have to? Like, but why, though? Yeah, did we have to? I, I don't know. And why couldn't it just be, like, a little bit more of a period piece, and it's him and Wendy who get married? Yeah, I don't understand why that couldn't have been the case. I don't either. Like, that was kind of a strange choice where they're like, oh, we'll just make it so that, you know, Wendy's been left behind and he married her granddaughter for some reason. Creepy. In a weird scene where he, like, flies in the window and then she's asleep and, like, And he like, non-consensually kisses her? I'm gonna give her a kiss. Like, what the fuck, Peter Pan? And Wendy's like, oh, yeah, cool. That's assault. Cool for my granddaughter. Here, here it is. That, that's assault, folks. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't seem to have much choice in the matter at all. No. She and Peter Pan are getting married, and that's, the, that's that, said Grandma Wendy. I mean, there's a lot of weird sex stuff, like the mermaids. That was weird. Oh, yeah. Peter Pan, when he goes to Neverland and gets thrown into the water, those mermaids, uh, there's like some scantily clad mermaids that come up and start making out with him to keep him alive, you know, mm-hmm. on, is the pretense. Mm-hmm. But it, it is like framed sexually. And kind of, it's kind of strange that that exists that way. And, I mean, my favorite theory, which is, everybody get ready, because I'm about to talk about some gross stuff. <laughs> um, Tinkerbell. Ugh, yeah. And I just, that made me wonder if this movie spawned many fetishes where uh, men think about women being tiny and then ejaculating on them, and they're like, oh! That has to be a thing. There's no way that's not a thing. I mean, there's definitely, like, there's a big woman fetish. And that was more popular, I think, in the 50s and 60s. But it still exists. Yeah. Like, um, that movie Attack of the 50-Foot Woman or whatever is, like, literally, like, a movie that big woman fetishists really enjoy. Yeah. Um, So there's got to be a tiny woman fetish. Giantess. I like that better. Giantess, yeah. Yeah. Your description of the tiny woman fetish is disgusting. Oh, because I, <laughs> oh, I was trying to think, like, what could possibly be, like, the logical conclusion if you were jerking off to this idea? And I was like... Well, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's got to turn somebody on. It's we probably to. turned in somebody on right now just oh, talking about oh, it. Oh, Christ. Turn this off. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like thinking about that. <laughs> we're not. But, yeah, there's... Um, I mean, there has to be fan fiction of this movie. There has to be. Like... Oh, yeah. Rufio and... Rufio and Peter. The Mermaids and Peter. Tinkerbell and Peter. Hook and Peter. Like, this stuff exists. There's Rule 49 or whatever the fuck. Like, there, there is, is porn p- of there it? There is porn of it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. For sure. If it exists, there is porn of but, it. But, I mean, I guess the main question is, but why... But, but why, though? <laughs> but why, though? Why was there so much sexualization in this movie if it's for kids? I don't know. I feel, and this movie, like I said, it oscillates quickly back and forth between irreverent and maudlin. There are, like, so many tonal inconsistencies in this movie. I mean, even that final fight scene, there's, like, kids who are, like, shooting egg guns. And, oh, like, yeah. 
red goop at people and it's like yeah. ha ha look how silly there's a fat kid like roll, cannonballing down a, a ramp while he's farting in like pirate spaces and it's like playing goofy music all behind it and then like after that rufio gets stabbed brutally in the chest and dies saying like i wish that i had a father yeah and then like, the light the goes fuck? out in his eyes and it's like oh <laughs> remember that Laugh now, fuckers. But yeah, it's yeah. like they flip a switch and change it from this goofiness to like, oh, here's the saddest thing ever. Yeah, and it does, it's not effective, obviously. Well, no, I think that that's the problem. What the problem is, is that it actually really is, but it's manipulative and I can like feel it happening and I'm like, no, get out of my brain. I See, won't allow this to happen. It's not effective for me at all. Really? Because it's like... <sighs> It's so goofy and, and and so frenetic too that I just check out. Yeah. And anything that beca- that's supposed to be meaningful is I'm, I also am checked out on. So like anytime there's a fight scene in this movie, I'm just like, oh my fucking god! And I start thinking about like, I you know what I the the hamburgers I made for lunch. Yeah. And I think about that instead of like what's happening. And so it's totally ineffective for, ineffective for me because I'm just like, I don't care. See, actually, I think that that is what should be the rational response to a scene like this. Uh, where there's like a bunch of crazy stuff going on that's basically meaningless. And you can sit there with your mouth open, picking your boogers like the kids <laughs> in, in the first scene. But I think that most of us allow ourselves to be tricked. Because this movie, it, it is manipulative. Like the, Oh, it is. Like, it's got you, it lulls you into this sense of security and, <sighs> and, like, happiness and contentedness when you're watching, like, silly lost boys battling pirates and having a good time and, like, children are laughing. Like, oh, that's a pleasant thought. And then suddenly one of them gets struck down and brutally murdered. Like, yeah. that is literally taking you up on the highest point of the roller coaster and then immediately dropping you down. Like, there's no way you're not going to have a change of emotion if you're, like, even halfway paying attention. But it is such a short-term feeling. Because then they're like, boop, on to the next thing. Forget about that. I had you. You are sad for a second. But now don't feel sad anymore. We're doing this now. Like, <laughs> See, it's fine. It's okay. Watch the sideshow <laughs> here. This is my snake oil. Wow, what a game that was. Or whatever the fuck. Yeah, that that kid said. Yeah. After his fucking friend Rufio is dead. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, exactly. Um, I have, and I think we can attribute that to this note that I have, which says, Steven Spielberg's laziness. Oh, yeah, you did say, like, this one does, it, it's kind of like Spielberg has, like, a a meta encounter with himself where he's like, I wrote the book on how to make this kind of movie, and now I'm going to make a movie based on that book that I wrote. Like, based off of the how-to book that I wrote. Or Spielberg had the same problem that every other director does that when they get giant, and that nobody tells him no, and he doesn't have the (laughs) fucking... He's so fucking rich and arrogant that he thinks he doesn't make mistakes, and so he doesn't fucking cut scenes, and he doesn't ever think to himself, maybe this is a stupid idea. Yeah, it is. This is one of the most Spielbergian Spielberg movies. It has, like, literally every single technique that he's ever used. Dutch angle. Um, And at points, it really does work. I think, I mean, we talked about the kidnapping scene at the beginning. Yeah. Um that one is super effective it's scary and like uh still fantastical like with the music and the different angles it gives this like magical realism feel but then like he kind of overdoes it throughout the entire movie 
Yeah. And it loses its impact. Yeah. Oh, totally. And nobody was like, look, Steven, uh, that is stupid. And you <laughs> look stupid having put that scene in this film. Nobody's there to do that because yeah. he's like, well, you're fired. <laughs> like, why do, we have, why do we have a two and a half hour Peter Pan movie where there's a subplot where Tinkerbell is in love with Peter Pan? That takes, like, a full ten minutes to resolve. Why? Why, why is this in here? Uh-huh. What purpose does that serve? What purpose does that serve at all, other than for those tiny woman fetishists? <laughs> we are we are on to you, Steven Spielberg. We know that you fetishize tiny women. You, you just don't understand, Rachel, that the tiny people fetishists are the silent majority. <laughs> We're not kink-shaming. If that's your thing, fucking have a ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I want to talk about uh, Glenn Close being in this movie. Oh, weird. Yeah, that was odd. Some strange, some interesting cameos of some uh, famous people. So, like, when Hook is on the, uh, is being introduced, and he's like, you know, I ran Peter Pan out of here, and I took his kids, and everybody's like, yeah, Hook, you're the best. And he's <laughs> like, and who didn't think I could do it? He's like, is it you? Was it you? And he starts, like, walking through the crowd, and he's like, no, it was you. And uh, he points to this one pirate, and it's Glenn Close in a freaking beard. Uh, Glenn Co- Close in drag. Playing a man. Um, you can totally see it. It's funny. And they put him in the boo box, which is horrifying. But uh, why, why was Glenn Close in this in disguise for like five seconds? Was this a, such a major production that it was like Daniel Craig in, a, in Star Wars or whatever? The, la- the fucking Force Awakens? May have been. This was Spielberg's heyday. Yeah, did people just want it so badly to work with, like, to be in a Steven Spielberg movie that they would do ridiculous cameos for, like, five seconds? Oh, it may have been, like, Glenn Close was like, you know, I've always wanted to go to Prague, <laughs> but I, I really shouldn't put more on my credit card. And she calls up Steven Spielberg, and she's like, what are you working on right now, Steven? They're friends, and he goes, well, I'm working on this, kind of this kid's movie. It's called Hook. It's kind of... It's all right, you know. It's not my favorite thing. She's like, "Can I be in it?" And he's like, um, "Well, there aren't really any parts for women in it." And she's like, "Come on, I can be in it for like two minutes." He goes, "We wear a beard." She's like, "Yeah, uh huh. Why not?" And he's like, "Is ten thousand dollars enough?" And she's like, "Let's make it twenty. See, I don't think that she got paid for this. I oh mean, bullshit. You don't think so? Are you fucking kidding I mean, she's, me? She's hidden in the movie. What point is it? Like, I think she just did it because she's like, I want to be dressed as a pirate for a day. That and is have a ridiculous. Good time. They pay extras in movies. I mean, maybe she was like, I'll do it for scale or whatever the fuck that uh, term is for like cheaply. Yeah, which is cheaply is like $20,000. Is it really? So fucking ridiculous. Why, why yeah. do we pay actors that much? Why do we play professional football players that much? I mean, I guess it, it makes sense. I value actors quite a bit. I watch a lot of their a lot of their shit. What am I complaining about? I'm complaining. Yeah. You know what I value? I value educators getting a decent salary so that they are consist are able to be consistent and provide children with an excellent education. Of course. Fucking Glenn Close does not need ten thousand dollars to put on a beard. <laughs> No one's going to give us $10,000 to put on beards and scream while they put scorpions on us. They didn't put any scorpions Fear, Fear on Factor her. Fear Factor was canceled, like, years ago. That was movie magic. They didn't put a scorpion on her. You think it was movie magic? Yes. Are you kidding me? Do you think Glenn Close would allow herself to be put into a box and have a scorpion put on her? 
the the deeper question is would the insurance companies allow you to put scorpions on Glenn Close? That's the answer the is no to both. <laughs> so it's irrelevant. I agree. No to both. No to both. Yes. No, absolutely not. They put her what they happened? voted as a couple and we decided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no way that would happen. And there's no one else here to vote, so that motion passes. <laughs> <laughs> um Captain Hook tries to commit suicide and apparently has had suicidal ideations before Yeah. in this movie. Um, I never got that. It was kind of a strange segment. Yeah. And it's like, he's like pointing a gun at his own head and Smee's just like, oh, not this again. Yeah. As if this has happened before. But it's obviously just like a cry for help. Yeah. But at the same time, like this is a pretty like serious subject matter for children to be involved with. I think it's supposed to be a joke. I think it's supposed to be like a dark joke. I think it is for, like, the parents or whatever. But at yeah. the same time, like, I remember as a kid thinking, like, what the hell? Is, what, what is this? Like, I'm eight years old watching this movie. Or not even. Because this movie came out in 92. I was, like, six years old watching yeah. this movie. And, like, that's who this movie is directed to. Is, like, the six to Ten. 12-year-old boy demographic. Mm. Um, I mean, just look at the kids that are in this movie. Who you're supposed to identify with. They range from, like, six to 12. Except for those 25-year-olds that were standing around in the background. There were, there were like, some odd filler te- teenagers and yeah. adults. Yeah. <laughs> some of the Lost Boys. I, I was like, oh, man, that Lost Boy has a mustache. Yeah, what the fuck? There were some just in the back. And maybe it was... At first, I thought it was, like, an optical illusion. Like, they're standing on a ramp or something. And yeah. so they look really tall. But no, then no. they all, like, walk away. I'm like, oh, they're standing on a flat surface. Those kids are just six feet tall. Thus, not children. Yeah, adults. Not children at all. <laughs> not that being six foot. Good job, Jordan. Oh, well. Um, Dropped something. Not that being six foot tall means that you're a child or an adult. You could be a really big child, I guess. I suppose. I think, <laughs> I think what I want to talk about definitely is... Um, I, I definitely want to talk about parenting. That's the main okay. thing. Okay, yeah, let's, let's jump into that. Okay, let's talk about parenting. So, and I want to blend it with, like, pirates, too. Okay. <laughs> parenting and pirates. Pir- pirates and parenting. Pirating and parenting. Uh, well, I do think that the pirates are metaphors for parents. And oh, I think yeah. that Hook himself is actually a metaphor for most men's uh, idealization of their fathers. Like, this guy who's kind of dangerous and scary, but also... Like, there was a line that actually kind of struck me. Like, they're fighting... Well, Peter Pan is sword fighting Captain Hook and he yeah. says something like oh you looked a lot bigger um like I remember you being bigger yeah. or something like that and he says like I'm huge to a 10 year old or something like that yeah. and I was thinking like how fathers are huge to 10 year olds and, <laughs> and that's how I got into this thought remember what we were talking about last night though what's that about oh, <laughs> about dad penis? <laughs> about dad penis. Yeah, um, I, we did not come up with this joke. This was on a TV show or something. But... No, it wasn't. I came up with it. No, I've heard this before on a TV show where somebody's talking about, like, dad penis is scary. Like, it's a... Oh, you know what? It was on Workaholics. Adam, yeah. Adam Devine was talking about yeah. his dad's penis being we huge. From. We watch a lot of TV, when you're, when you're a kid, your dad's penis looks enormous. And it's and... A, a perfect metaphor, right? Yeah. Uh... But if you have the adoration of children for your penis, that's a bad thing. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. No, that's not the metaphor at all. There's no metaphor. Like Jordan, shut up and let me explain it. <laughs> okay, go Jesus. Ahead. So, what we, we, we were talking about is 
like your perceptions as children and what you perceive is powerful and neat and um, terrifying and all that stuff. Yeah. And how, and how, you know, I've heard this from many of my male friends. I actually have no idea. But the first time they see their dad's dongs, they think it's huge. They think they have their oh, dad. Yeah. They think their dads have like the biggest dong ever. Oh yeah. And they think that their dads are like the strongest dudes ever and have like the most money. Yeah. When you're a kid around the age of that's the target audience of this movie, your father is the superhero in your life. Yeah. In I would say what is a a normal American childhood, or yeah. at least like a idealized American childhood. Sure. Uh, I realize that this is not the same case for every person that grows up. Um, one for me. But it, it is in the sense of the people who this movie was made for. Yeah, 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 exactly. And made by. And made by, yes. So, yeah, fathers are a big deal. And then when you grow up... Uh, you realize you... your dad's dong was probably just an ordinarily sized dong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, the, you know, they're normal human beings and they can make mistakes, too. And they have weaknesses <laughs> and flaws. But, yes, also that their dongs are not as big as you might remember <laughs> them to have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's that the is, metaphor. That is an incredible metaphor for masculinity it and is. fatherhood. Uh, and I hope that it stays around forever. It's now immortalized on the internet, so... <laughs> Rachel's fatherhood of dongs theory. Oh, I have a couple... Wasn't there another theory that I... Oh, you've got theories all the time. But you wrote Out one down. Ass. You wrote one down that I, there was another, like, Rachel's theory of something in this movie. Oh, you know, there was. If you want to... Hold on a second. I know you said something in here. Might as well get get the theories out. Yeah, we'll figure it yeah, out. Yeah, we will. We will. Know. <laughs> the dad, the dog, the dad dong theory. Yeah, but so I mean, Captain Hook said that line mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, yeah. I'm sure to a ten year old, I'm huge. Right. And he does kind of seem like a. There are parts where I think we watched it and I was like, oh, this is just a total black and white evil villain. But then sure. there are certain points where he like shows vulnerabilities and weaknesses and. Um, you know, becomes a little more well-rounded as a character. Right. Uh, and I remember thinking, like, I wonder if this is, like, kind of Steven Spielberg working out a lot of his own issues. You mentioned that you think that maybe he had recently had children or they yeah. were getting to maybe this age. Because it does feel like he has a lot to say about parenting, fatherhood, what it means to be a kid. Right. Um, what it means to be a kid growing up in a certain generation. Uh, finding your inner child and blah 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 like it's all related to children and and fatherhood and there's a lot of like working through anxieties too yeah like the way that that first scene was shot whenever they come home from the gala or whatever and there's a um the front door is open yeah when the kids have been kidnapped yeah when the kids have been kidnapped and the the housekeeper's like sitting on the stairs just wailing yeah she's like traumatized that actress fucking sold it she did good job she was horrified and i don't know who the fuck that is or have ever seen her again she was amazing but anyway we noticed it had like a lot of dutch angles and a lot of like hitchcock directorial stuff there yeah and for me it just felt like him working out his anxieties like i'll never know that anxiety yeah of having like a child missing or taken right but that's that's a good represent. I can imagine what it might feel like yeah. through that representation. It felt like a legitimate fear that he has that he was working out. He seemed to know it well. Yeah. Uh, at least well enough to express it to us through the medium of film. And yeah. I think that's an impressive thing to be able to do. 
Yeah, and the, that's why I like the first part of the movie. Yeah, it, there are some some real genuine things to latch onto there. Sure. Uh, and then it kind of descends into farce and um, just silliness and goofiness for a yeah. long time. Yeah, it's boring. But I remember, I mean, those parts are obviously for the kids. I mean, the food fight. Yeah. Uh, the insult um, back and forth between Rufio and Peter Pan and, like, imagination feast and all this shit, like... Those things are exciting for kids. I was thinking to myself, like, this place looks like a little boy's paradise. They have a fucking skateboard roller coaster. That is goddamn awesome if you're nine years old. Yeah. Like, who wouldn't want to ride that thing around? Like, it looks like little girls a dangerous want to ride it too. Yes, but unfortunately, there are no little girls in the Lost Boys, Rachel. <laughs> so no girls allowed. No girls allowed. Also, I guess why it's a paradise. Because y'all don't want anybody <laughs> coming in being like, so, it's fucking dirty in here. Look, well, that's another message in this movie. Because women, all the women in this movie talk sense. Do you notice that? They're like, his wife is trying to talk sense into him. Uh, Grandma Wendy is trying to convince him of who he really is and talk sense into him. The little girl is trying to talk sense into Jack by saying, like, oh, remember, the, they do actually love us. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to be brainwashed and all this stuff. But all the women are pushed aside in silence because that's what men do. We don't want to hear you guys come in here and tell us, this is a mess and eventually someone's going to have to clean this up. Fuck that. We'll, we'll think about that tomorrow. Get out of here with all that realistic shit. We are little boys and we are going to play imagination games until we die, which is very okay, soon. Wait, wait, wait. Let's stop. Imagination games of violence until we die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the... Fighting pirates. I want to fight pirates. I want to be cowboys and Indians and relive the American West. <laughs> I just want to put people in quasi-concentration camps while I steal their land. I'm a little boy. <laughs> but yeah. Just kidding. I love men, sort of. But of course, little girls would love to do these things, too. And guess what? We did play those things. Yeah. We did play cowboys and Indians, too, but it generally resolved in us... Sitting down and, like, making a village and... Signing treaties. And no, no, like, talking about how many horses we had and what colors they were. I mean, that's wonderful. Like, I, I would love to have horses. Yeah. Well, use your imagination and uh, your dreams will fucking come true is what <laughs> this movie told me, I guess. Oh, man. But, I mean, what other childhood and parenthood themes did you notice? Did you, uh... Peter, you're becoming a pirate. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's... Because he's a lawyer. Um, yeah. Man, the 90s hated lawyers. So many lawyers. Hated jokes. lawyers. And I actually remember it myself from, like, the time. It gave me a pretty strong memory. I don't... I, I think it was, like, my dad was telling a lawyer joke or something at, like, a, a party with a couple of different families. And... I can just um, hear Rick doing that, too. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, lawyer jokes were a big thing. And so this so movie, weird. like, totally ran with it. It's kind of a sign of the times. Like, people hated lawyers because there were so many like frivolous lawsuits that were popping up or maybe not even frivolous, but just tons of lawsuits coming out of the eighties. Yeah. Well, like, uh, yeah. Lawyers, just a really strange thing. The nineties latched onto like liar, liar. And yeah. they're like, what do you tell the difference between a liar and a lawyer? And they're just like, you can't. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? Here? Oh man. I call lawyers liars. All right, yeah. fucking rancher in Wyoming. We get it. <laughs> got, oh, got it. Um, but yeah, so Wendy's 
you know, completes the metaphor and calls him a pirate because he's yeah. a he's a corporate raider in like mergers and acquisitions yeah. or something like that. He's and also when he gets to the Lost Boys, they're like all the Lost Boys Island. They're like all adults are pirates. Yeah. All right. If you're literally like, here's the metaphor. The pirates are the adults. Yeah. The kids are going to fight them forever for the right to play. Yeah. To play in peace without being disturbed by the banality of life. Right. But I think that, like, one of the things I wanted to look at was, like, <laughs> I think I wrote here, I am the pirate. Yeah. Or is it? I think I wrote, yeah, I am a pirate. I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you write that? I am a pirate. I am a pirate. Because... Um, one of the things that they, that the pirates are is child free. Oh yeah. And there's even the little lecture from Captain Hook about, uh, why children or why parents hate their children. Yeah. And it is a lot of the reasons that Rachel and I don't want to have kids. (laughs) Yeah. They're noisy and smelly and you can't do what you want anymore. And And they uh, they used to hang out all the time and now they don't because you came here. Yeah. That's true. I don't want to fucking fling a bunch of resentment on a on, on an unwilling participant. <laughs> like, why would I have a person, a little tiny person, that I'm supposed to take care of unconditionally, just who who just does what a fucking little tiny person does, and is yeah. like, hey, um, I need some juice. I'm tired. I beat the bed, and then <laughs> me just being like, fuck you, little kid. Yeah, I don't want to deal with that. I'm still working on my own bedwetting problem. Like, I don't need to be worried about it. I'm not going to heap resentment onto somebody who didn't ask to be here. Yeah, exactly. Done. So I'm a pirate. (laughs) And he even tells her something like, you know what, Maggie? Like, before you were born, your parents were happier. He literally says that to her. Studies show that, too. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that some people derive great joy from having children. I'm not one of those people who is, uh, you know, excited about children. It just doesn't doesn't appeal to me Uh, very much. You don't want to make your genetic mark all over the United States? No, I really don't. (laughs) And it sounds like a lot of work. And like, you know what? I'll just say that I'm too lazy to have a kid. I don't want to do I don't (laughs) I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, you know, give me a trophy because I decided not to have a kid and I recognized I would be a bad father. Yeah. Give me, give me the trophy. No, I said it first. Give me the trophy. <laughs> well, there's probably trophies enough for both of us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Speaking of participation trophies, I had oh, a, yeah. cause I had a thought about, um, one of the like minor messages of this movie. Uh-huh. Um, at the beginning, you know, after Peter Banning misses his son's baseball game. Uh-huh. And apparently he's missed a lot of them and broken a ton of promises. What a bow. And is just like, you know, totally obsessed with work and never spends time with his family. Um, the mother, like, gets angry and pulls him aside and is kind of like, hey, uh, you know, you're, there's only a short period of time where our kids, like, actually want to spend time with us. And this is it. Like, for oh. the next couple of years and you're missing it. And, Jeez. like, to me, I, th- I feel like that message, that core message of that was kind of in a lot of children's movies around this yeah. time. Where, like, your kids are worth spending time with. Like, you should be showering your kids with love. And I feel like a lot of our generation um, kind of absorbed that. And, and so we feel, uh, I hate to use the word entitled because it's so charged. 
um, with negative connotations, but it is like we feel entitled to love from our family or entitled to attention from other people. And uh, I'm not saying that that's something that is completely true across the board for our generation or that it's even bad to like want to be loved. Um, but I feel like that's something that is throughout our entire generation I, and we have... I just think that that's through every single generation. It's just in a different form. Really? Yeah. Like, I think everybody wants to feel loved and everybody wants to feel adored. Sure. Like, think about what do baby boomers want? Like, think about The Sopranos. Yeah. Fucking Tony Soprano talking about Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type. Yeah. And all Tony wants is complete and utter adoration. Right? <laughs> That's true, yeah. He wants to be the fucking king of everything. So I think it's every single generation. And the problem that I have, and we talked about this last night, with um, particularly elder generations being like, millennials, you're so used to participation trophies. I just want to be yeah. like, who is giving out the participation <laughs> trophies? Yeah, It's I mean, not like they appeared out of the ether, you fuckers. You're the ones who raised us. Yeah, I mean, these movies that <laughs> are giving this message to us are not made by millennials who are fucking six to ten years old at the time this movie came out. Yeah. Like they're being made by an older generation, and that passes on into us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that kind of infuriates me when people use that argument, because I'm like, you set us up for this. You set us up to feel like we deserved appreciation for our hard work or for, like, right. anything that we participate in at all. Yeah. And then when we get there and there's nothing there for us... It's like, how, how dare you feel entitled to this? So like, you want a participation trophy. I'm like, bitch, I want to fucking work in exchange for currency. Yeah, I notice you're doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, like, generation bashing isn't helpful. Yeah, getting off on a tangent there. But I, I mean, I do think that, um, you know, it's definitely worth considering. It's, it's, for me, it's like, everybody should just chill the fuck out and stop blaming each other. Everybody just take responsibility. Mind your own business. Mind yourself. Like, I got problems. I know I got problems. I feel entitled about shit. I, like, just do shit because I'm impulsive and selfish sometimes. I recognize that in myself, and I'm actively and not so actively working on it. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, at the same time, like, the opportunities that are available to us are not the same as they used to be. Like, you have a fucking master's, a terminal master's degree. Yeah. And are working for far less than... uh, someone would be at your age um, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's the same thing for for me as well. Sure. Just there, I mean, and part of it is like kind of an uncontrollable fact that there are just more people. Um, Yeah, that's... And a limited amount of resources. See, we're helping your ass by not having kids. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah, we're doing our part. That's right. (laughs) We're doing our part. It's like a World War II propaganda poster. (laughs) We're doing our part and it has like two... A couple just giving a thumbs down to a fetus. And a thumbs up to a condom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There you go. We're doing our part. Do you do yours? Amazing. Talk about that post-apocalyptic future when we get into like an overpopulated world and those are like government sanctioned like incentives for uh, contraception and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Use condoms and enter yourself into the government sweepstakes for a million dollars. Yeah. (laughs) And the chance chance to get a free abortion. Oh, God. Free sterilization, I think, would be more... um, Free sterilization, yeah. But that's far too proactive and not very reactive. No, not at all. It doesn't make sense. But we could build that world, and we should. Yeah, let's make everybody depressed. Can we talk about religious imagery in this 
movie? We can talk about... I mean, it's better than this. I have... I have, under odd sexualization, I have Wendy, Tinkerbell, Mermaid's old whore. Oh, yeah, because the only other women in this movie are all, like, old whores that hang out in Pirate Town or yeah, Pirate Bay or whatever the fuck it's called. Pirate Bay? Cantankerous, <laughs> cantankerous uh, Cove. Um, they've got, yeah, there's, like, six overweight prostitutes that are wearing like bustiers or whatever the fuck yeah bustiers and they have um like pancake makeup on and yeah it's uh it's weird i I didn't really want to talk about it i just wanted to say how funny it was that i wrote old whore like well one of them because they i don't think they have any speaking lines other than like it's hook oh one of them says like put on your faces girls it's captain hook yeah that's the one line that anybody says and then later on somebody has like a semi speaking role where she makes some sounds because she takes off Captain Hook's hook and she starts like moaning. She's like, oh, Stop! oh. And I'm like, I hate what the it. fuck? This is, it was really weird and jarring. It was really weird and jarring. It jumped out at me. Me too. For those of you who want to watch it, if you get to the part where uh, they throw a baseball game for Jack, yeah. is when she's sitting in the stands with Captain Hook. She takes his hook off and starts moaning like she's like being penetrated or something is disgusting oh it's all about penetration it's always about penetration <laughs> thanks <laughs> rachel oh, now man. every single movie that you watch that's directed by a man for men look for it it's always about penetration oh christ uh so yeah that's women in this movie something to be penetrated <laughs> but, somebody to tell me no yeah no matter what, every woman is, is sexualized in some way, including 90-year-old Maggie Smith. So it's, it's just interesting to me. I yeah. guess the only woman who's not sexualized is Glenn Close, because they have her in drag. Yeah, Glenn Close in drag. And maybe, and the little girl Maggie. Yeah, she's not sexualized. Nobody kisses her. But there are some strange religious themes. Yeah, I actually have weird religious imagery written right here. Yeah, there are several scenes. Um... Peter Pan is kind of like treated as a Christ figure when he's like trying to figure oh himself God. out. The The music is like so intense and the lighting like kind of looks like, you know, the 12 apostles like surrounding Jesus or whatever. Um, it, it's really interesting to watch. And there's like the the suffering of, of Christ and the suffering of Peter Pan kind of <sighs> go hand in hand. What, what do you think? You, you sound exhausted, Rachel. <laughs> Slinking into the couch. I think the Steven Spielberg, and I have Jewish heritage, so just bear with me on this. I can say this Jew thing. You can't say this Jew thing. <laughs> um, Steven Spielberg is the type of Jew who's figured out how to make money off of uh, Christian fervor. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know how a movie about a fucking little boy who used to fly in a, in a pirate fantasy world that grew up to be a banal man. I have no idea how in that movie I'm suddenly thinking about Jesus Christ. Like, what the hell? Like, I, how did that happen? Um, there were just strange sections of, of like, really intense and... Uh, almost like renaissance painting poses yes and that's fucking i'm telling you it's fucking spielberg being like "Mm." he's like sitting there and this is back when he still did a little cocaine does a little cocaine at a party and he goes 
I know what I'm going to do with this hook movie, guys. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> Those fuck, and it's all like his Jewish producer buddies, and they're all yeah. sitting there, and they're like, yeah, Stephen, what are you going to do? And he's like, I mean, I'm going to get the Christians real good this time. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm, I'm going to reel them in. I'm going to really reel them in this time. You know how they love that shit. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the original fisher of men. Ha <laughs> ha! cast that net wide and far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of money off a hook. Somebody already taught me how to fish. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I don't know. It was, it was a minor thing, but there were like a couple of scenes where I was just like, this is odd like how seriously they're taking this and to the point where it almost looks like a holy ritual yeah which speaking of which you noticed the the pirates have an interest or you call that, that was the, that was the theory that was your theory you that had a theory, theory about pirate ritual on the high seas as a way to combat anxiety yeah what, what was that about because mm. oh yeah because they catch uh they're fighting uh peter pan is like sword fighting a bunch of them and then he gets caught in a net, and they, like, pull him down. And I said something to the effect of, like, why don't they just, like, chop his head off? Like, they're waiting for all these kids to come and fight him. And they should have just, like, you know, stabbed him in the throat and been done with him. Yeah, but they have ritual. And the ritual, one of the rituals being walk the plank. And yeah. so, the reason, this is my theory. Um, with anxiety and, like, obsessive-compulsive disorder and stuff, you <laughs> develop, you develop... That's that's something that develops not necessarily just out of genetics, but also out of environment, right? Sure. And so, these guys, there's nothing more anxiety-producing than being on a vast ocean where you can't drink the water around you, mind you, and you can get any... If, it is, if somebody breaks out in a disease or somebody has a disease, you all have it fucking now. <laughs> and if a fucking storm comes and the waves just chunk your boat right over, then you could either die by drowning, die by impact, die by, like, uh, dehydration out in the open ocean, or die by shark pulling you down <laughs> into the cold, cold depths. Oh, fuck. Yeah, pirates would have rituals. So I think that they do it as, like, a way to um, mentally appease the chaos of the sea. Yeah. Like... We have to do this ritual this way, otherwise a storm will come and blow our ship over. Like, I have to turn the lights on and off eight times, otherwise my mom will die. That's such an interesting thought. I hadn't ever considered that pirates might all be OCD. Or have anxiety because the sea is terrifying. But that does make sense. Um, That's why they'd be wasted all the time. that is some serious mental gymnastics to describe why these pirates didn't just kill Peter Pan and be done with him. Hey, you were all about that theory earlier. I'm still all about it, but I just think, you know, there has, I mean, pirates are all rogues. They don't, they're not, they don't really work well together. They kind of just do because they're raiding parties and they get to do whatever they want. But like, I can totally see, pirates are like the ultimate backstabbers. So why wouldn't they like stab the back on the ritual and just be like, ha ha, I'm the one who killed Peter Pan. Now follow me. Fuck Captain Hook. Because pirates aren't just rogues. If we're talking about real pirates, I'm talking about pirates in history and shit. Oh. Not these pirates. Not these fantasy pirates. Not these fantasy pirates. That have a boo box. A boo box? A boo box. That's the box with the scorpions. Oh, I thought you were saying a boob ox. A boob ox. There's a there's a boobed ox over there. Have you ever seen this thing? It's a freak. Me? <laughs> a boobed ox in the corner. But yeah, I mean, um, what else? we got to start wrapping this up. Oh, uh, we do. I, feel, I felt bad for... Peter Pan's wife, Moira, because, like, Peter Pan's going around getting some all over Neverland, 
and we just totally forget about her until the end. And she has like no problem with Toodles flying around the fucking oh yeah nursery or uh, like her children mysteriously being returned to her. She just has a big smile on her face. Like yeah. If I was her, I would think I was having a complete nervous breakdown. I'd be like, oh, well, now the schizophrenia has finally settled in. I wondered <laughs> when it was going to happen. Oh, exactly. There's some strange stuff about with violence in this movie. We're like in the final fight scene. Uh, like, what was it? They're, they start, um, like Peter Pan decides like, oh, I'm not going to fight Captain Hook. I'm just going to take my kids and go. Oh, yeah. But that's after they've already, like, fought for a long time. And then so his kids are like, let's just go. And he's like, okay. And he starts to just walk away, which I was like, okay, yeah. You know, sometimes you don't have to, like, fight and and kill people to achieve your goals. Just leave. Sure. But then, uh, you know, Captain Hook taunts him from the deck of the ship. And he's like, okay, well, fuck that then. I'm going to come and kill you with my sword. And they get into another sword fight. And then... uh, like, Peter Pan eventually, like, turns the tables and, um, you know, de-wigs him or whatever. And he's like, you know what? No, you're not worth it. I'm not going to stab you. And Captain Hook's even like, yes, of course. What would the world be like without Captain Hook? You know Hook? what? And it's like, fancy music, happy times. And then Captain Hook's like, fuck this. And he tries to kill Peter Pan anyway. And then uh, the crocodile falls down and eats him. So what is the message behind <sighs> violence in this movie? Because I am confused. The only thing worse than watching that scene was listening to you describe it again. Are we supposed to? <laughs> You're so cruel. Uh, are I'm we supposed? But are we supposed to feel like violence is the answer or not? Because this movie gives really mixed messages on that. Steven Spielberg was doing cocaine with his producers. This was another thing that popped up and was like, he was like, no, but it's got to be exciting though. And they're like, yeah, but. I mean, it's for kids. How much violence? And he's like, no, they they like violence. It's f- but we should tell them that violence is bad, too. Yeah, uh, tell them the, not to do this, but also let's just do it. Hey, what, what's going to make the most money? <laughs> Hook with two dollar signs yeah. after it. So um, as far as this movie goes for women, what do you think? Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Disaster for women. Yeah. The there are more female characters than a lot of these little boy movies, but they're p- treated poorly and just I would ju- I, no, I don't care. I would rather it be a movie that's just all men. And yeah. don't fucking put us in for your token token shit. Like just yeah. let it be all men. There was the yeah, women were not treated well in this movie, and uh, I mean they weren't treated poorly. They just were just ignored, largely ignored. Yeah. Race relations. What do you think about that in this movie? Uh, there's no main characters who are people of color. So, I mean, I like that. Um, but it's pretty diverse. Yeah. A diverse group of, diverse subgroup of characters. So I wish that they had had that applied to the entire cast, but just a diverse group of sub-characters. And, uh, as far as masculinity goes, boring cliches that we've seen a million times before. Boy and his father both want attention from each other. Blah, blah, blah. Nothing new. Uh, what is the what does Jesus say on the cross? Adonai, Adonai. Um, I'm gonna something I Abednego. Why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah, or? yeah, but they they say it in Hebrew. Yeah, yeah basically yeah. what well, that's what e- it is. Eloi, Eloi, Lamech, something. I don't. Remember. Yeah, well, we're really good at this. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, what the theme of this movie is. So you know, how do you feel about this movie? Is it a, a delight or a disaster overall? 
go with disaster. Yeah, what, what for? Because I'm like, there were times where I would have rather been cleaning than watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there were parts that just really dragged. Yeah. I'm going to say disaster, too, just because uh, I, I didn't feel a special feeling. There wasn't like a lot of um, nostalgia or anything for this movie to see it again. It kind of just uh, was an ex like a it was a fist hump. It, it was just an exercise in time wasting. Dragged ass. Didn't have a lot to say. Didn't have anything particularly spectacular about it, except maybe the sets. Uh, and even they weren't great. And even they weren't great. So yeah, I I I don't think I would like recommend this movie to people if somebody's like, "What Robin Williams movie should you watch?" I'd be like. Mm, something else even mm-hmm. if it's children's movies like not patch adams not <laughs> hook jumanji maybe i don't know mrs doubtfire probably not we watched that recently and it kind of sucked but anyway yeah don't watch it it's not worth it it's kind of boring yeah it's too long you've got better things to do it's yeah. bright and sunny outside go ride your bike yeah uh, so yeah, if you guys uh, want to write us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, if it's five stars, we'll read it out loud on the air. Other than that, I think uh, that's all we got for today. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye.